Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. Last month, we went to LA for an event with the American Youth Symphony called Game Changer. The AYS invited three game composers to create suites of their music to be played in a concert alongside music from the classical world chosen by those composers. The composers were Takeshi Furukawa from The Last Guardian, Jason Graves from The Order, 1886. Austin Wintry from Journey. Before the concert started, those three, along with Chuck Dowd, who's the director of music for Sony in the U.S., joined me on stage for a chat about music and games. Here it is. Good afternoon, everyone. It's so wonderful to be here, if not only to get out of the wintry winter of Minnesota. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm always so excited to get to talk to video game composers about the music that they make that is so wonderful and that you're going to be blessed to hear today. Uh, so let's just get everyone out here. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce to you Chuck Dowd. He's the director of music for Sony. And we've got Austin Wintry, who uh, you'll hear his music from Journey today, but he's also got a nice long list of other games, including Assassin's Creed Syndicate, The Banner Saga, Leisure Suit Larry, Monaco, etc. <laughs> and we have Takeshi Furukawa, who wrote the music for The Last Guardian, just came out in December. He goes by TK, so we'll be calling him TK. And last and certainly not least, we have Jason Graves. You'll hear music today from The Order 1886, which came out last year, also known for his Dead Space music, and Until Dawn, Far Cry Primal, many, many, many things. So I'm going to have a seat now, and let's talk. Let's talk about music and video games. <laughs> um, Chuck, I think I'd like to start with you because you've worked with all of these fine composers and you, this is what you do. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Sony in terms of uh, making sure there's great music in video games. Sure, thanks. Uh, first, I just want to say how thrilled Sony is to be a part of this event today. Uh, we care a lot about the music that we put on our games. Uh, we think it's probably one of the best ways to make an emotional connection to the players. 
and we put a lot of thoughts into determining the composers that we pull onto our titles. And these three gentlemen that are up here on the stage with me are some of the most talented people that we've worked with, which is why we wanted to share their music with you here today. Uh, our team at Sony is, uh, we're a centralized music group. We partner with all of our developers and composers and musicians and studios all over the world to produce music for our games. We'll, uh, we're unique in the way that we'll handle all the elements of creating music. So we'll handle the, the creative aspects of it, finding the right fit, the style. We handle the business side. We handle all the production. So going to the stage with orchestras or choirs, uh, individual soloists. And as many of you know, there's a massive technical component to integrating all of this wonderful music into a video game because ultimately that's the delivery vehicle, right? The delivery vehicle for the music is this interactive medium so the magic really happens when you have this underlying technology and this logic that you marry to all the amazing music that these guys are creating. Uh, over the years, our teams developed to be specialists in this area, and we're so passionate about the work that we do, uh, we just keep finding ways to do it better and better all the time. Uh, so for you fine composers here on our panel, um, you had the opportunity to choose some classical music pieces that uh, are meaningful to you. So today we're going to hear uh, the sea interludes from Peter Grimes from Benjamin Britten. We're also going to hear the Firebird Suite from Stravinsky. And I would love to hear just kind of your thoughts on why that music is significant to you and why you think, you know, we're, we're doing this concert with both, both things on it today. So, uh, Well, I can kick this off, I guess. Uh, I, so I was the one who recommended the, Brit, the Britain 4C interludes. And it, I loved the premise. I just got an email from the AYS saying we'd love to do the show and pair it with concert works. And why don't you tell us works that inspire you? And so, of course, I sent them this email that was like, here's the, all the entirety of Western music. Uh, pick what you like. They chose 4C interludes. So, uh, I mean, I, I did say this is a particular work I love. I really love Benjamin Britten. And, but more significantly, the idea of pairing, you know, earnest, real concert writing with game music, uh, to me, is such this amazing statement of, of pulling game music out of the kind of shadow kid brother syndrome of we're inferior perpetually to these works. I mean, the idea that, like, let's put them on stage and see how it all lives together. Because at the end of the day, it's all just music. And let's not worry so much about, is it uh, of the proper artistic caliber? And that all that just, yeah, I'm going to censor myself a little bit. That, that, that um, garbage, yes. Anyone who knows me knows how weird that was coming out. Uh, it's not, it's just, it's very pretentious to separate things and to say, no, let's put music that is fun to play and, and hopefully enjoyable to people all on stage together. I, I think it's great. So, for, for C and Lose was my little contribution. And I was the one that picked Firebird Suite. Uh, it was really my first exposure to classical music um, in middle school. And uh, back, because we're all old, I had a Walkman with a cassette player. And I borrowed um, something uh, that had rock and roll stuff on one side, and I fell asleep to the cassette. And it flipped over to the B side and auto plays, and it was Firebird Suite. And uh, yeah, I, I, only the best for my middle school. So. Weird. Um, 
and it was Firebird Suite. So I, I actually woke up kind of in the finale when it's doing the big brass thing and the horns have all the cool harmonies and everything. And it was just like, wow, what is this? And that started a journey for me, even in middle school, not analyzing and notating and stuff like that, but just listening to more classical music. And Stravinsky, especially with his ballets, uh, really influenced me, the way he could tell a story and the way he could paint a scene, even if you don't know what the dancers are doing and you can't even see them. You know, it's very much like a film score or a game score or an opera. It, it's like we're all more or less attempting to do the same thing and putting everyone on the stage at the same time is sort of uh, evening the playing field, so to speak. So we're, we're losing that pretentious for the stage versus for screen or for video games because we're all trying to do the same thing. Sure, and TK, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, writing themes for music because this is something that is, you know, we'll hear it in the Stravinsky and the Britain, we'll hear it in, uh, you know, a symphony by Beethoven for crying out loud, but uh, now we take this into, you know, film and, and television and, and games now, writing themes and develop them, developing them over the course of the game and how they shift and change. So would you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure, well, I think... Um First, it's, it's funny because I also recommended the Firebird Suite for. I said that. I said that. Yeah, for, for yeah, this. they both they both chose Firebird. <laughs> yep. No, we did. Um, one thing I just want to append before I get into themes is um, I completely agree with what Austin and Jason was saying. I, um, Firebird Suite and also the Four C interludes. You know, it was written for an opera and a ballet, which is essentially the entertainment medium of the day. No different from video games now. So. Um, trying to get rid of that pretentious barrier of what's concert music, what should be put into the canon of concert repertoire. Well, if you actually kind of take one step back and think about it, you know, all these pieces that we're performing alongside video game scores today it was originally written to be digested as part of a different entertainment medium. And I think it's great that this concert is kind of breaking down the barriers, as you said. You know, it's, we're in the same boat, essentially, except these uh, other pieces just happened 100 years prior to, to us. Um, but that, I don't want to interrupt you, no, but that, go, go like, it's worth noting, it just occurred to me on the drive down here, that everything on this show is from the 20th and 21st century. And how often do you go to an orchestral concert that that's true? Uh, right. that's, that got me very excited. That usually I, turns people away sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a reason not to come. Well, I yeah. think it's funny that you just talked about, sorry, I'm never going to get to the themes thing, that um, you mentioned it's quite recent, because it is, you know, instead of uh, going back 200 years, 300 years, um, going into Bach, the repertoire today is quite, again, 20th century is recent, and I think it might be that um, the, the concentration of late romantic works and contemporary works were more concentrated on trying to tell a narrative. It's, it's program music, as opposed to like symphonic works, where symphonic works are great too. You, know, you, you take like a motif and you try to structurally develop them. But um, for better or worse, to me, I think I, I gravitate towards program music more because again, it's concentrated on trying to tell a story rather than trying to develop a motif over the course of 40 minutes um, in a more or less academic way. Um, and I think that translates to our job as video game composers more directly because you know we don't get points for writing a four-part canon in, in video game music. Rather, it's it's important. Well, I don't to... know, Chuck. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should. Can, can we put that in our contract? We we get paid extra. <laughs> so um, going to the themes thing. Um, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Do you want to jump? No, in for ca the carry on, carry on. Um, 
you know, when I, when I write themes and try to develop themes, I try to approach it in that kind of a vantage point where um, you write the theme and then you put it up against picture or the narrative and try to follow the narrative arc rather than trying to get preoccupied too much about, oh, well, should I modulate here? Should I, should I um, have a counterpoint going against this theme? Um, you know, how academic should I get with that theme? That's kind of secondary to, I guess, servicing what's visually happening on screen for me. That's, that's the way I work usually. Sure. Uh, Chuck, I want to hear more about just the passion that, that Sony has for making sure there's great music in games. Because, you know, for, for me, and there's kind of been some buzz around music circles lately that you go to a big Hollywood film these days that you expect to have great music and you walk away and you can't remember a single melody from a single, you know, character or, or instance in a certain film that you really were hoping would impact you in that way. And, um, you know, when I think about video game music, I feel like that's where all the most exciting experimentation is happening. So uh, talk to me about, you know, just that passion for having great music in games and uh, the freedom, too, that, that games allow. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the opportunities we have with video games, I mean, these guys all know it is, uh, we've got an ability to make an emotional connection to the players that isn't available through other mediums, right? Particularly like a film or TV where you're pretty much just an observer. You're in it for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and then you're out. Uh, the fact is with video games, particularly like our bigger titles, we'll have two plus hours of straight cinematics to score on top of 12 to 15 hour game experience. So what that means is, is the players are in that world for much longer, right? So we've got opportunities through the music to make that emotional connection, to immerse them in the feelings of the characters and, and, and what the world is. Uh, with video games as well, you'll notice even if you're controlling a third character, that wall between you and that character breaks down and we're scoring, like these guys are scoring the player's experience. So we've got opportunities in that capacity as well that isn't that that isn't available in other mediums. I think for us at Sony, themes are important, like because we know we know how important music is. We've had a lot of support over the years to really build out this team, to build out world-class recording studios. Uh, the trick with video games is to make sure you have thematic elements in there, but you don't have them repeat too much. And I think in some of the early days of video game scoring things were too repetitive themes, right? So then there was a backlash against it, and then we had a whole pocket where there was, it was like anti-theme. And we're, right, and, we're, and we're approaching this area now where we're putting thematic material back in, but we've got to find opportunities to use it, right? And, and oftentimes those opportunities can tend to be in the cinematics, ironically enough, right? Yeah, but a lot of it's, it's, it's having that awareness as well, because it's not just enough for the music team to think like that. We need our game directors to think like that. We need the level designers to think like that. Right? We need the composers to be thinking like that. Right. So uh, I think as, a, as an industry and as an art form, we've come a long way, and uh, you know, our team works really hard to continue to try and push this art of, of thematic elements in video game music. Uh, one of the things that I am very curious about is kind of the timeline for this. Uh, uh, oh, but before that, I do want to explain because I, okay, give, give a shout or a clap if you are a gamer, you consider yourself a video gamer. All right. So if you have no idea how to work a controller in a 3D space, if you've never played a game, uh, because... 
I believe there are those out there maybe that, that maybe have not gamed. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Proud yeah. of that. So, so uh, Chuck, keeps, Chuck keeps mentioning this word called cinematics. And, and uh, in a video game, there's parts where you're actively playing. And then there are parts where the game kind of takes over and you'll watch a, a short film. Maybe it's a couple minutes long. Maybe if it's Metal Gear Solid 4, it's four hours long. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, usually there'll be this time where it is a fixed, um, you know, like a little movie. And the music is different there because it doesn't tend to be as interactive. But, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to clear that up. So when we're talking about cinematics and video games, that's, that's much more of a linear process because the player isn't actually playing. You're just watching. You know, it kind of helps move the story along and helps uncover parts of the narrative and things like that. So, good. All right. <laughs> um, so also, yeah. Let's so let's talk about the timeline. Like, I know Journey was an unusual exception. To you had, in some ways, you had a little bit more time than than sometimes. But an unusual exception. I love that. <laughs> not like those usual exceptions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Journey was three years, which for a game of that scope is quite long. It's an unusual exception. It is an unusual exception. Stop it's it. Extraordinary unusuality. Stop it. Uh, I, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let these guys speak to, to theirs, but, um, but yeah, Journey was three years. The thing that makes Journey unusual and exceptional uh, was that, that it was three years for, like, an hour of music. It wasn't three years for three hours of music or two and a half hours or whatever, like, uh, you know, much more along the lines of, of the scores that they are here representing and a lot of other scores that would, especially in the kind of AAA blockbuster game space. Journey is a very small game for that amount of time that went into it. And just to briefly piggyback on what you were just saying and the things that Chuck was talking about, be, I don't, for, forgive me, but working with these guys is truly phenomenal because of how much they care about the music. It's, it's, it's really worth highlighting that from my perspective, and I'm sure these guys would agree, you feel like you have an ally that is just as hellbent as you are on this being all that it can be. I mean, I remember on Journey, I was recording cello solos in my, my little studio, and I get a call from, from the department of these guys saying, what microphone are you using? And I tell them, and it's like a middle-range mic. So, they, so a guy drives up from San Diego to bring a different mic to sit there during this, because they're like, we think we can probably sound a little better than that. Like, the, that kind of allegiance, and that's on Journey, which again, in the, in the grand scheme of things, is a small title, and, but that dedication to quality is apparent in every step, and it's really, it's not typical of other game publishers and studios, so I just had to expand on that from this side of the glass, so anyway, I think you had stuff to say now, because I'm yammering. <laughs> What was the question again? <laughs> Just curious about timelines. You know, how it works for you. How much time you had to write the order. How much time did TK hand. have to write The Last Guardian. Things like that. Yeah, the interesting thing with working in games is a lot of times... I mean, I was involved with the order for, I think it was three years, but I wasn't working on the order for three years. I was there at the very beginning when they were researching doors and the, the <laughs> bottoms of the character's shoes. Do you remember that? And before any music needed to be done, and in my opinion, that's the best way to get involved when you're brainstorming with the rest of the team. The actual music, when it really came down to writing the music, I was usually doing maybe three or four minutes of music a day. So if you're comparing that maybe to a classical timeline, um, Austin and I have had offline conversations now, and we know that um, the Firebird Suite was done in about six months, six to seven months uh, for 
what, maybe an hour and a half of music. I don't know how long, how long it is. But so what you're going to hear today is probably, I mean, I'd say six or seven weeks of work on Stravinsky's part. And I know for me, that's probably about five days of work. So there's a, there's a very compressed timeline where you have to deliver. That's what Jason's way of saying. If you hate the music from the order, at least not give my him fault. some slack. He only I, had five I didn't days. have as much time. And it is. As much as we love being up here and talking about video games kind of getting a, a, a slightly better representation and equal presentation with Stravinsky in Britain, I think I speak for all three of us where we in no way are legitimizing our music yeah. with Stravinsky in Britain. It's more like an honor to be up here, just like it's an honor to have Sony include us. And I'm gonna stop talking and let, let TK take over. Um, I think everyone knows um, the, the unusual development timeline for The Last Guardian as well. It was quite literally close to 10 years, I believe, that the developers were um, making that game. And I got involved fairly early too. So. Just like Jason and Austin um, on a AAA title, I had I had about five years to compose that score. Um, I was brought on board about five years ago. However, um, because of the switch to the PS4 system, I was put on hold for about a year or two thereafter. Um, so I guess uh, all in all, there's about three years of work put into The Last Guardian. I think the um, one thing that we were able to do in that three years, though, for The Last Guardian, which may I don't know, maybe um, you guys could chime in on this, but um, what's unusual for me is we wrote a lot of music which got distilled to the ultimate around 70 to 80 minutes of score that's in the game. So I think I wrote about, I think I wrote about three hours of music in various stages. You know, some of them were just sketches, some of them were more fleshed out. Um, others were completely done, but because the levels changed and whatnot had to be conformed. And then, um, as you all may know, the director embraces um, an aesthetic of, just subtractive aesthetic of trying to pull away what's unnecessary. So ultimately, um, you know, all my uh, hours of music got distilled down to 80 minutes, which was, which was great. We were able to, I guess, emphasize uh, quality over quantity in that regards. One of the things that's also quite unique about video game music is that you aren't scoring to picture, like film composers do. They often are seeing a mostly finished product and writing music to that. And you, uh, you know, you might get some gameplay if you're lucky. You might get some screenshots. You might get some art. Uh, so talk to me about that process, uh, you know, writing for something that isn't even finished yet. Well, I guess I'll start. Um, so for The Last Guardian, um, initially when I got on the project, I got on the project um, as a result of uh, a small demo process. I think they brought in a couple of, a handful of composers that uh, they were aware of. And they gave us some uh, boards, I guess, image boards. And based on that, we had to come up with a theme and uh, present it to the director. So the initial steps is, you're right, you know, there's not much to go off of. Um, it may depend on game to game. I don't know what, what you gentlemen have experienced with Journey or The Order. Well, I'm sure it, it scales, right? Like, at the, the beginning, you're really using your imagination. By the end, you've got a lot more to go on, but you've also done 80% of your work, so <laughs> you're, you're sort of retrograde composing in a way. I mean, in the, I mean to, I'm a huge advocate of playtesting constantly. I am not a fan of uh, relying entirely on video capture and things like that because I like how to I like to inform the music 
from the feel and actual kind of kinetic contact with the game. So like in the case of Journey, it was wonderful. I was able to play test the game uh, throughout the process. And of course, obviously through two thirds of that process, it looks nothing like the final game. I mean, like Jason said, you know, they sh on the order showing, you know, the, the textures on shoes for the first six months or whatever. Journey was, had its own version of the same kind of thing, you know, that none of the systems were working and none of the art was final, but it was kind of like, here's a snapshot, and you pair that with concept art to kind of triangulate what it will be and, or what they're aiming for and that sort of thing, and, and that's how I like to, to get rolling and, and to make the music as, as tailor-made to the experience, the way it feels, as opposed to purely uh, this abstraction from what it sort of might be. But every game is different. I mean, some games have such technological hurdles up front that to get the music written in time, that you couldn't possibly rely on playtesting. You have to get started before that. So you're writing music, you know, like Jason and TK are both talking about, that that's based on you know dreams and conversations more than something more real. A lot of potential. Concrete. Like you're writing for the potential of the scenes because they're literally stick figures that are floating and moving, and, and the computer is doing the dialogue. You know, it sounds like Siri, and it's like, I thought you were dead, but I love you so much, and you're, you're having to think, okay, I need to write this emotional love theme. Yep. Uh, Chuck, talk to me about, uh, because it, it takes so many years to make a big giant AAA game. So talk to me about at what point the music gets added. Uh, so the music gets considered when we have our story, right? So right at the time where uh, generally it's the game director, either by themselves or partnering with somebody who has a story, that's when they'll meet with our team and we'll start to brainstorm about what the music's going to be like, right? Uh, the style, the role, maybe the, the overall instrumentation, and that will start to inform the composer search that we do. Uh, we'll generally have the game, these guys know, the. The tech to, to actually implement music comes online relatively late in the process. That's why it's all the more critical that we find the perfect, as close as possible, creative fit early on, right? Because we're not going to have that opportunity always to play test it, right? Mm -hmm. But if we do our work up front and we, we bring in the, the talent that's in alignment with the creative vision of what the game is supposed to be, and we're all working towards that vision, even though like the target may shift a little bit, the chances of success are exponentially higher. So that's one of the things that we do. Well, believe it or not, we're out of time. Are you ready to hear some music? Do you want to hear some music? All right. <laughs> well, I, uh, this is definitely a, a dream of mine to get to hear some classical music side by side with video game music. It doesn't happen nearly enough in my opinion, and I'm so glad that the American Youth Symphony is going to do this for, for you today. So, And thank you to all of you for providing the music and for making the music happen in the first place. So thank you all. Thank you. And applause for Emily for moderating this, coming out here for it. Thanks for listening to episode 66 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about the American Youth Symphony at aysymphony.org, and links to the composers will be on patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Oh, yeah! You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc., 
Learn more at june-media.com, and June is J-O-O-N.